In a world where coaches are still the main characters, the players are now legally chasing the ultimate bag, and the game of basketball is always the top priority, there is only one brand you can trust to help you wade through all the madness. Hey, I'm Tate Frazier from One Shining Podcast, and you can join me twice a week as we navigate the always entertaining world of college basketball. Every Monday, The Ringer's Kyle Mann helps me make sense of the biggest stories from the weekend. And on Fridays, we talk to our many friends of the program. We're locked in on the best postseason in sports. Make sure you follow One Shining Podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Ringer F1 Show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. Hello, welcome to the Ringer F1 show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your host, Megan Schuster, and we are here today to discuss the return, the premiere of Drive to Survive Season 6. This is the first of two Drive to Survive episodes that we're doing. This one will be covering the first half of the season. So if you haven't watched episodes one through five yet, you may want to pause and come back. But there's a ton to get into from these episodes, from the Nick DeVries-Daniel Ricardo drama to Williams's emergence as a true midfield team to a Gunther Steiner existential crisis on our hands. And joining me to get into all of it is the wonderful Juliet Littman. Juliet, how are you? How does it feel to be back in Drive to Survive land? Thanks for having me. It honestly feels great. This is a great season of television. What a great show this is. <laughs> I'm so happy to be back. I got like a little jolt in my heart watching the opening scenes, you totally. know, when we're flying through Monaco and Lando's driving around in his tiny car and everyone's talking about their winter break. So I was, I was so excited. Do you... Are you still invested as invested in this show six seasons in as you were in early seasons? Has that like relationship changed for you at all? Um, can I share an overarching theory related yeah. like sort of answers that question? I, I think this season six is so much better than season five. Like season five was kind of meh. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that a more boring Formula One season is better for Drive to Survive because oh, because you don't the show doesn't really have to tell the story of like the overarching season. Like, you know how like in the like since Drive to Survive really got popular when something big would happen in, in Formula One, people would be like, can't wait for this Drive to Survive episode. And then it would mm -hmm. be disappointing because like they wouldn't cover it the way that you wanted them to. Right. Right. Like, so, you know, even with the Oscar Piastri stuff in 2022, like when that happened during the summer break, like that was I feel like the show in season five, you know, it kind of like had to like toe the company line like they're in mm -hmm. business with the with formula one and the teams and so it didn't like give you what you wanted but i feel like this season could really go deep into into kind of um more isolated drama that i found really gripping um and i also now love uh james val so i <laughs> <laughs> i uh yes I, I thought that the fact that like the first five episodes don't have a lot of max and don't have a lot about mm -hmm. the overall um, driver or constructor championship was like a real boon to the reality documentary show. Um, and there's like so many small things I'm excited. They're not that small, but like just compared to like the dominance of Red Bull, it feels kind of insignificant when you're looking at the sport. But when you're looking at the culture of the sport, there's so much more to dig into. And I think that not having to like deal with uh, Lewis and Abu Dhabi or not having mm -hmm. to 
account for like kind of like really big um like sporting drama has allowed the show to really come back to like why it was so captivating for people. I think that's a really good point. I have found over the years Drive to Survive to be sort of at its weakest when we're focusing on on track stuff. Like one of my yes. biggest criticisms of the first of these first five episodes is from the Williams Haas episode. They don't like when they're kind of going back and forth and like Haas is fighting Williams for this position. Mm. I'm like, this position was probably in the back half of of the grid. Like I, it yeah. wasn't like they're fighting for like second place or something like that. It's and I, I find place. right, right. And so I, I find that stuff much less affecting. And I think too you know, now that I am watching the seasons as they go along, I, I sort of already know how these races end. So watching the right. recaps of that isn't as affecting as, say, you know, watching Lando Norris fielding all of these potential offers and talking with Zach Brown, Zach Brown about, like, what is my future going to look like here? Um, it's very, very different. And, and I like that from this season. Totally. And and also, I feel like we're learning a lot about people by, like, how the show is positioned, because, like, just beginning with episode one, um, there's not a lot of Fernando Alonso, even though it's yes. an Aston Martin episode. But, you know, we it's positioned as like the dream, like like Lawrence Stroll's dream is to mm -hmm. win a championship with his son. And so even though that kind of like elides the fact that Fernando Alonso is like one of the best drivers of his generation right. and also like had a really good season for an otherwise middling team. The the sort of the storytelling that they are positioning, I'm like, I'm willing to buy in because it's sort of like complementary to what's happening on track. And so like, that's okay with me. Yeah, I, I see it. I see Drive to Survive as almost independent from the actual Formula One season at this point. Yeah, like they go hand like, in hand, but it's not like telling yeah. you the story of of like 2023 season. Right, right. It's, it's like sort of like a B-side to the season where we're seeing some of these behind the scenes things, but... This show is definitely not controlled by what is happening on the track or who the most important players are. They're sort of finding their interesting niches Don't other ways. And like, I I think that's like also good for the sport because, you know, people who came to the sport in the last few years have seen Red Bull overtake Mercedes. But in general, mm -hmm. it's a sport that is dominated for years at a time by one team and one car. And so I think the show gives you a lot of reasons to like care week over week. Um, even if it's like a foregone conclusion that Red Bull, like, you know, here we are late February and they're like, Red Bull's going to win again this year and the right. season hasn't started. So, but I do feel like I am armed with like a lot of things to watch for. And um, I don't know. I like, I really enjoyed these episodes. I don't know if I was just like in the right mood for it, but I, yeah. I had such a great time. <laughs> I did too. I did too. And this season almost felt like a return to season one for me yeah. where, you know, season one, we didn't get anything from Ferrari or Mercedes. Lewis is hardly seen at all. But instead we get these ancillary characters like we got Daniel Ricardo, we get Gunther Steiner and we get both of them again this season, which I is know. so exciting. Can we just like talk about Nick DeVries? The... Yeah, we, we need to talk about Nick DeVries. I personally kind of forgot he ever existed until I saw the episode description for the second episode. In a show, in a sport that is so obsessed with the grandeur of Monaco, seeing him cleaning his own small apartment in Monaco <laughs> was honestly so depressing. And also knowing that apartment probably is still really expensive. I was just like, this is tragic. It reminded me of Annette Benning um, cleaning the windows in the house in uh, American Beauty. I will sell this house today. <laughs> um, but I was just like, this is so sad. I just felt I don't even I also didn't realize he was 28. I mean, that's on me, but I'm just like, yeah. this is horrible. This is a horrible situation. <laughs> it was it was really, really tough. I think the most memorable quote from him in that episode was like, I think he said, I love my Dyson when he was talking about all of his his cleaning <laughs> habits and how he likes to organize his small apartment and his tiny empty fridge. And I mean, granted, like the view from his apartment was still exceptional. So I'm sure you're right that it's very expensive and more than I could afford. But it, it was sad to see a Formula One driver living like that and that that was his his hobby and sort of his sense of control in a season that was so spiraling elsewhere. <laughs> I just needed to get that off my chest. I I, I know I'm jumping around, but I'm really no, going to carry it. carry the sadness of Nick DeVries for a while. Yeah, yeah, me too. But let's get into the episodes because we do have a lot of a lot of specifics to talk about Nick DeVries related and otherwise. Um, 
The first episode is called Money Talks. And as you said, it's very much Aston Martin, Lauren Stroll propaganda. It's setting the stage for the start of this season. And we get a lot of Lauren Stroll hype and how he's purchased Aston Martin and how he has these grand visions of turning it into a Formula One champion. And Total Wolf comes through and kind of rains on his parade a little bit, says, you know, it takes a lot of time and more than just money to to win in Formula One, which is true. But Lauren Stroll seems pretty committed to the bit. And so does Lance, who we get a lot of focus on between his wrist breaking incident in a cycling accident. We see a lot of x-rays of his uh, screws in his wrist, which I don't think I ever really needed to see in my life. And yeah, and him fighting back and, and coming through and actually racing and doing very, very well in Bahrain. What did you make of sort of the Lawrence Stroll, Lance Stroll dynamic? And did you feel like you learned much of anything about Aston Martin from this episode? Um, Lawrence Stroll goes out of his way to say, like, I'm a father first. Yes. Uh, and it felt so empty. Like, it, I, <laughs> I I didn't see, like, a lot of father-son emotion. And, and mostly I just couldn't believe he drove. Like, when yeah. you when you get that like behind the scenes view of it, it's kind of like, why did he do this? Like, I, mm-hmm. it's shocking. And he definitely like put himself at risk. Um, I liked seeing, I really liked in that episode, seeing the guys, like all the drivers like interacting, um, like when they're doing the preseason, like marketing photo shoots and like catching yeah. up with each other. There was a lot of pickleball. Um, which I, <laughs> I bet pickleball is really popular in Monaco. It's just so funny. Have you been to Monaco, Megan? No, I haven't. I went once. I was like in the south of France. I certainly didn't stay there. It is the most ludicrously expensive place other than Aspen, Colorado. Like it is just so absurd. And it's just so funny to think about these guys just like retreating there. I know like Toto lives there. It's like his primary home when not traveling and stuff. Like Mm -hmm. it's just an absurd place to be based. And so the fact that like they're just like playing pickleball (laughs) in in Monaco and like, you know, like December or whatever was just like very, very funny to me. Um, so I guess like you, I didn't really answer your question, but the interaction of the guys was like in such a actually such a stark um, contrast to Lawrence and Lance where like there was a lot. Yeah. There's, there's so much more collegiality than I think you realize because there's also such a competitive sport. But it's just like there's no feeling coming from Lawrence and, and Lance and, and at all. <laughs> no, no, I, I would agree with that strongly. There were a lot of really interesting details in this episode like when we kind of open with it, the Aston Martin party and all of the assistants freaking out over the radio saying oh you know Lawrence is he's four minutes incredible. out he's, he's three awesome. minutes out like there were these like tarps or something covering the chairs in his section that were damp and they were all scrambling to try and get those dry and, and make a, and a proper seating arrangement for him I'm also convinced that Lawrence doesn't own socks. I don't know if mm. you, you noted this. But We've he never wears a seen lot him of, in socks. We, he wears a lot of loafers and a lot of kind of the the short cropped um, pants. And I, I've never seen a sock on on those feet, which is mildly concerning. I think that might be like a rich guy flex where he's like, I'm always being driven around. And so I'm just like mm. always in loafers and I don't need... I don't need to like use my feet for something. I don't know. It definitely is weird. I I really liked that um, scene. It was obviously very James Bond in terms of yes. like the the boat, the, the yacht, I guess, and like having all like the fancy guests. Um, mm-hmm. I love the like largesse of Drive to Survive. When they lean into that, it's really wonderful. Yeah, it was it was very funny to see like Stefano Domenicali and Toto needing wristbands to get into the party. But Lawrence was bypassed. He did not need to wait around for any old wristband, did not need that sort of identifier. It was great. It was it's just like so interesting, you know, on on Jam Session on Ringer Dish, like we talk so much about celebrity and seeing someone like Lawrence Stroll cultivate his own celebrity by like buying Mm -hmm. a team, renaming it Aston Martin, kind of just like grabbing at all of the signifiers to like compete with Ferrari and Mercedes is so brazen and so transparent, but like, it's also working for him, I guess. Like Aston Martin had a good season last year. Like they, you know, Mm -hmm. getting Fernando Alonso uh, made a lot of sense and like was impactful. Yeah. I think the lack of Fernando in this episode was the most glaring omission to me because, you know, from, from testing and the preseason and all of that, we heard so much about how, influential he was with this team, how much his input helped them turn things around, how it helped 
shaved some of the car design and things like that. And he really seemed to be a leader in getting them to where they were. And so I, I was really coming into this episode, hoping we would get a lot more of that information and seeing him and what his relationship with Lance is like, because he's had some some notoriously difficult teammate relationships in the past. Um, so I, I missed a little bit of Fernando in all of that. Totally. But it was it was interesting to see their vision for this team as a whole. Yeah. And it's just also so, so fascinating to see which team, like how the teams place themselves. Like Lestrol, like Lestrol's are like, we will compete with Mercedes and Red Bull and Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Whereas other teams are just like, we know we are, will never be there and like are okay with that. It's just such yeah. an interesting dynamic and it's hard to believe it remains compelling, but it does. Yes. Yes. What did you think of all the uh, the wank talk when, when so Lando funny. Lando waltzed up to to Lance and asked if uh, his wrists were healthy enough to have a wank? Um, I loved it. A little... <laughs> uh, I really I, I did write in my notes. I was like a lot of like locker room talk in this episode, but yes, got to know these drivers in like a less manicured way than usual this season. I I liked mm-hmm. it. I really liked seeing them interact with each other. Um, we saw more of that in the other episodes. I'm sure we'll get to it. But in general, I just feel like we learned a lot from those like smaller moments. And also the seeing in this episode, seeing Lewis inspect the other cars and then and then go to the Mercedes and just be like ours doesn't look the same. And I remember mm-hmm. that was interesting because I remember from preseason last year when Mercedes was trying to spin that as like our car looks different because it's so much better. Yeah. Um, And that was not the case. That was like really fascinating. And, you know, I do think this season, though we said it's like not representative of the Formula One season, it does. The first five episodes are dropping things that explain like how we got to the moment we're in right now, Mm -hmm. Um, which especially with Lewis, which is really interesting. Yeah, this episode offered a lot of clues, too, about what we're going to see over the rest of this season. We have sort of the Alpine guys watching Aston Martin and they're discussing, you know, how how did they get so much better over the course of the offseason? And I think Otmar says, you know, they hired a, a bunch of Red Bull aerodynamicists and the guy he's talking to said something like, well, we need to fucking do that next year. Like, why didn't we think of this? And so we're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing, um, you know, some Lando stuff, some early seeds of Lewis discontent, which I think we'll get later in this season. Toto asking for a postmortem after the Bahrain race saying he doesn't know what happened, which would set the stage for them sort of revamping their car midseason and completely overhauling a bunch of their side pods. So that there's really a lot outside of Aston Martin, too, in this episode that I think was pretty fascinating, as well as Toto and uh, Fred Visser discussing slim fit shirts, which was adorable. <laughs> adorable. I think it's interesting that Toto has been positioned in the role that Christian has had previously. Um, yes. It, as sort of like a through line, he's present in for every of all of the first five. He gives, they show a lot of him like walking and on his scooter. He doesn't mm-hmm. do, his interviews aren't as entertaining as Christian. They never have been. Um, but, you know, at this time of recording, Christian is still in his role in Red Bull, but he may yes. not be. There's been accusations um, of misconduct. And, I wonder how long this has been festering because I I really noticed that there was a lot less Christian this season and a lot more Toto in terms of just like the glue of the TPs, as they say. Yeah, I feel like they haven't in past seasons had him commenting so much on other teams, whereas Mm -hmm. this season he really did come through a lot talking about, you know, the struggles with Alpine. They had Claire Williams also came through. Um, former team principal of Williams, which I thought I was loved an interesting that. inclusion. I liked having her. Yeah, she's a really mm-hmm. good voice. I liked her much more than Danica Patrick. I was so that was my next question: is we have Danica Patrick coming through as sort of the new talking head, discussing a lot of the driver relations and, and all of that. We saw her in this episode talking specifically about Lance's injuries and how difficult it would be to operate a car with two broken wrists. I think he had some broken toes too, which sounded painful from like operating gas and brake pedal perspective. Uh, Yeah. What did you think of her in this role? Did she offer much to you? I thought it was, I thought um, the only thing I liked was when they were asking her specifically about like starting, like the driver mindset from starting the new season. Mm -hmm. But I think that um, she just feels really scripted. And I think like, I actually thought Will Buxton did this season as well. 
Um, yes. And you could tell that like they were delivering lines in a way that was helpful for the show. Whereas I feel like Claire is just sort of um, in fuck it mode because she's no longer running a team. <laughs> so yes. she was kind of like looser. So I don't want to like hate on Danica Patrick and Will Buxton. I feel like that's like the easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that they were, whereas like in, in previous seasons where the talking heads have really carried the show, they figured out this season actually how they need them less. Um, and that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I I missed uh, having Jeannie Gao in this season. Yeah. I know, you know, she had a stroke last year and I assume was unable to participate in this show, but I had really liked her insights from seasons totally. past and I felt like she threaded the needle pretty well and not being too scripted, but still sort of giving the show what it needed. And I, I'm with you. I think Claire, Claire really uh, went deep and sort of mined her own pain for the content this I lo- season, I loved which, it. Was, which was great when she was criticizing herself and saying, you know, like Haas has only like has lost less only than my former team, Williams. That was uh, pretty brutal for for her own purposes. Um, But yeah, I I liked Danica fine. I I liked this role a bit more for her than I think I have enjoyed her sky contributions ahead of races. Um, But yeah, I'm with you. I think Claire was probably the the beneficiary. Danica's beneficiary of editing, I think. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> you're probably right. Um, anything more on this episode or should we move to no. episode two? No, right. it's getting to episode two with Santa at the Horners. Yeah, yeah. So episode two is Fall from Grace. This is our Nick DeVries, Daniel Ricardo, Alpha Towery, Red Bull-centric episode. Um, and as you said, our first real foray into the Christian Horner conundrum. It was very surreal to me to watch this episode with all of the investigations surrounding him going on. Um it was very odd to be in his home in a casual setting like we have been in past seasons and having Santa surrounding his kids. At one point, Santa asked Christian's kids if their dad's been good this year, which was right. um awkward. like really, really awkward. I, I just felt so <laughs> uncomfortable during the whole opening part of this episode. I do too. Um you know, it's all still accusations at this point. Who knows what's going to happen? But yeah, positioning him as a family man just felt awkward in this particular time. Yeah. Um, I also, it, but it was like really conspicuous how much less like at home with the Horners we got. Because last year we had so much Christian and Jerry on their horses and, you know, at their estate. And mm-hmm. and it was it was just really, it was really noticeable. I was wondering if like, you know, winning two constructors in a year, in a row, changes like how the show wants to position him but I think it's I would guess just based on how he was used for his quotes and his interviews in previous seasons that it's much more to do with his current position at the team and then the sport versus like the fact that Red Bull's been dominant uh certainly no Christian would be happy to talk about it so (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I think you're probably right and even areas where they normally probably would have leaned into him a bit more like when they had the Red Bull annual charity shoot which is maybe the most English thing I've ever seen I think they made one reference to that being on Christian's land but we don't really get much of an introduction from him in that way or him gloating about his estate as we maybe normally would have um but yes, this episode is really centered around our reintroduction to Daniel Ricardo in a marketing role at the start of the episode, which broke my heart a little bit to watch him totally. moving around and, and just being the go-to almost like a uh, spokesperson or mascot for Red Bull was was really a bummer. Yeah, it's I find that to be an interesting like look into how the sport works. Like it is like confusing like how Red Bull like, why is it called Red Bull Racing? It's an energy drink, right? Like, I, I, <laughs> I find the business of Formula One pretty interesting. Did you see Ferrari, the Michael Mann movie? No, I haven't yet. Oh, my God, Megan. Got to see it. Uh, I, I know. Say it's I'm like, really behind. There's some... I, I have a lot of notes. But it, <laughs> I, I find the sort of, like, how Formula One grew with and out of, like, the auto industry and other industries is really interesting to me. And so mm-hmm. seeing Daniel in that marketing role and also, like, you know, I remember watching the car unveiling... Um, last year because uh, he was going to be there. Like, it was interesting seeing the other side of it. I guess I find the off-track moments that I was familiar with presented from a different perspective to be pretty compelling because, like, I can match it up against my own memories. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, that was cool. But, yeah, it was was sad, but, like, he's 
so charismatic that like he doesn't allow it. He doesn't allow his own sadness to like lead. Like he still leads with humor. And yes. he's like the type, he seems like the type of person who makes everyone around him feel at ease. And um, that's like a pretty big gift. Yeah, everyone really still seemed to gravitate to him in these roles. You know, we get Christian Horner's kid asking him at one point who his like all-time favorite driver is or something, and he says Daniel Ricardo. Um, so you you can see that he's still very close to people on this team. They're very excited every time he's in the the racing suit when he goes to the test, and they're seeing him race for a Red Bull again. They're all so thrilled. And then on the flip side of it, we get Nick DeVries in his tiny apartment. Um, the this introduction to him. It was just like, it, it's a great episode. The way they did that was just really, really well done. You feel for everyone except for Christian. Yeah, you get this kind of big setup into Nick DeVries and all of the expectations that he's coming into with this season. He's 28, getting a later start in F1 than a lot of young drivers. He seems very, very committed to the cause, former Formula E and F2 champion. We get a lot of like Will Buxton hyping him up and saying that he's expected to come in and lead this team and be the number one to Yuki Sonoda. And then we see him fall pretty flat early on his two DNFs in Australia and Baku. Um, it, it was really tough. And, and almost immediately, I feel like we saw the Red Bull machinations behind the scenes of totally. you know, people scheming and, and wondering, is, is this going to go on? Yeah. I guess, like, maybe you know. How did Nick DeVries even get the seat in the first place? I remember when he filled in um, the season yeah. before. But, um, and Carlos said they thought they were saying de- debris on the track. They were saying <laughs> debris, remember? Um, <laughs> yes. That was that was funny. Um, but I guess I'm surprised he even got the seat, especially because he's 28. Like, I hadn't thought about mm-hmm. this before. But that's kind of, that's old for a driver to make the jump from Formula 2 to Formula 1. Um, and I guess he also had been in Formula E. It's like, to me, that suggests like a development problem. Like, I'm just like, are they not developing drivers properly that there's not someone else who could have gotten that seed or even like going? And then when it goes back to Daniel, I I understand, especially seeing his power as a personality. Like, I'm sure he does Mm -hmm. help the Alphatari brand a lot. But like, I do have questions just about the driver development um, and like who will be. But this is like partially out of ignorance. I don't want to say that I'm like, I'm not like, questioning it like they've got to do better but I I do wonder sure how he even ended up there yeah I mean it does make you wonder why they didn't go with someone like Liam Lawson from the beginning if they were yeah. so excited about his prospects and and all of that as a younger driver especially um it, it felt like maybe they just decided to take a flyer and kind of see how it went because DeVries only got 10 races which was a lot less than I remembered that's nothing when you compare it to nothing you know it it took Oscar Piastri a while to figure out his seat obviously Logan Sargent never seemed to figure out his driving style throughout the whole season and somehow managed to get a second year I don't know how you could expect someone to figure it out in 10 races and be at the Red Bull at the level that Red Bull seemed to expect him to be at yeah I I also just wonder if like there's a financial consideration to that. Cause like when you mentioned Logan Sargent, I'm like, well, maybe the fact that having, having an American driver seems like it's probably a boon. Right. Right. And so there's probably other things to consider um, for these teams that, that doesn't end up in there. But yeah, it's like if marketing was going to be an issue or that's like a primary concern for Alphatari in addition to training, then like why even go with him in the first place? It's confusing. Yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It, it was funny to hear both Pierre and Alex Albon get a chance to rag on Red Bull a little bit and how trigger happy they are with uh, swapping drivers out. Totally. Their quotes were were very welcome for me, and it was nice to see them on other teams getting a chance to I uh, love be Albon. a little bit more honest. Me too. This was such a fun Albon season. I was so excited for him. Um, and I thought it was interesting that they focused on Monaco for Nick DeVries because that was actually like his best race of the season, but I guess it was probably more of a timing thing because... Shortly after that, we get Daniel Ricardo back on track in a Red Bull at a Silverstone test. And I remember hearing a lot about that test at the time and sort of it being a gauge, but I didn't realize that that was literally the instance that pushed him over the edge and made Christian yeah. decide to pull the trigger. That was really fascinating. Yeah, I think he says like this, the Daniel we saw is a Daniel we were we are accustomed to like not the one of the previous few years which i th- which i also thought was really interesting and um it, that seemed unscripted there there were some other 
principal team principal moments that I was like, oh, they're doing this for the camera, which we can talk yeah. about. But <laughs> but that one seemed pretty legit. And it's interesting. I feel like Christian and Daniel have this like kind of very familial relationship where like they can they're sort of act antagonistic towards each other in a way where yeah. like you because you know each other so well. Um, but it's interesting to see that play out because it's also just so different than how Christian is with basically all the other drivers. And not to say that like he's the same with all of them. Like obviously Max is in a class of his own, but the relationship with Daniel is just so much more like family. Mm-hmm. It made me really excited to watch this Formula One season and see how all of their driver pairing stuff is going to shake out by the middle of the year because I think Max is their only driver who's currently under contract for 2024 and they have right. so many ways that this could go and there's going to be a lot more a lot more drama, I'm sure. It's very Oh exciting. my god, T- totally. I think there'll be so much driver movement over the next few seasons, especially the new teams. Yeah, it's going to be I think one of the silliest seasons that we've ever gotten, which I'm high for and hopefully Drive to Me Survive too. is prepared for. It'll be great. So great. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Episode three is under pressure, and this is our our McLaren episode, which I have to say I was surprised by a lot of what we got in this episode. I don't think I realized just how seriously Lando was questioning his future with McLaren and how, how deep into discussions he was with other teams. Like That was shocking to me. Where do you think he will end up? I I feel like he'll go to Mercedes. It's interesting because I, so I know he just sort of re-signed his deal or signed an extension over the course of the off season, but it doesn't feel like, still doesn't feel like McLaren is the end game for him. Um, I like looking at the episode, I I sort of wished that he had gone to Red Bull and given Mm. Max a real challenge because I feel like those two would have ended up being very antagonistic, which would have been fun. But it feels like Mercedes is probably the best option. Also, I feel like Mercedes just loves the British drivers, you know? Um, and I didn't realize him and George were such good friends. I guess I should have. But like when they're on the plane together, that was funny. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have expected that pairing, I don't think. But I think George's, my dream... Yeah, George's George is so... You said earlier that um, the shoot, like the, the shooting charity was the most British thing ever. Yeah. I was thinking about that a lot because there were so many things that were so British, like um, <laughs> what, what, and George, George being one of them. He's a very specific kind, but like, I don't know. I just feel like George is um, like a twerp. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know yeah, how else I to put it. 
I think that's the perfect word to describe him. My <laughs> my dream my dream scenario is that Mercedes for 2025 gets Fernando Alonso because I think mm. that would be incredibly fun. And then after Lando's contract with McLaren expires, he goes and takes over that Fernando seat at Mercedes in a few years. That's mm. that would be my goal, my end game. I think that'd I, be fun. That would be fun. That would be really fun. So with this episode, I really liked the Lando stuff. I really liked watching Lando and George. I liked just kind of getting a window into um, Lando's competitiveness and also just the reminder that he had a really strong back half of the season. Mm -hmm. Um, But the stuff with Zach Brown and Google was so, so staged that I was just like, no, thanks. (laughs) It was just like, and also, you know, Paul Walsh is the owner of the team. Yeah. It felt like he like asked to be on the show. All of the scenes that involve Zach Brown felt just so heavily managed, if not staged, that um, it was like, the for me, the least ep- least compelling episode of, of television. Yeah, and I, part of me, I, I think the stage thing is right because I, like, there's no way I think he agrees to all of that unless they had the comeback that they had at the end of the season because the end of this episode is a high note where, the you know, the car's doing well, they... Lando seems more secure in his future and he's excited about coming back and racing for McLaren and all of that. But the sponsorship stuff was a lot. And and there are other business aspects of Formula One in this season of Drive to Survive that I liked. Like when we get to the Alpine episode and we see their executive director and their CEO come through and start doing interviews and we get a little of those behind the scenes. Like I thought that that was really interesting and, and all the pressure that can fall onto a team principal. This felt like manufactured pressure and yeah, having the actual sponsorships there and like guys from Android coming in and asking, well, you know, are you, are you going to fix the car? That's and like do embarrassing. Like, what? <laughs> I'm like, do they get paid to do that scene or something? It was so, it was just like so embarrassing. And where, where do you think they were? Because it looked like they were at a club and I was <laughs> so lost. <laughs> I don't know. I get the impression. I don't, I don't know how this filming works for this, but I don't think they go to every race. I was wondering if that was like maybe in Miami or something, but I guess that's too early in the season. I don't know. Maybe it's like it could have been Miami. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It could it could have been Miami though, because I think some of those like other conversations seem to be happening. Like like some of the interviews where they were asking Zach Brown, you know, about the Lando rumors and is he talking to other teams? That seemed like Miami, so it all could have been around that time. Maybe that would make sense. It's just like yeah. a little early for the Google thing because again, why would if that was like legit that they were like think they're like we need this to pay off? And P.S. I don't think that Google. I'm sure everyone wants to be associated with the winning team, but yeah. I don't think Google's like we're pulling our sponsorship if you don't do better because they get no. the same amount of exposure. And like again, if everyone wants to be associated with a winning team. You don't want to be a loser, especially if it's like about data. But that's just not how it works. It's not like workday is like sorry <laughs> no. we're out because this. I don't know. Whatever. I, it was just that was such a that was so stupid. And also, I feel like <laughs> Zach Brown likes attention a lot based on the, inf- yes. the information I have. And so it just felt like he had really orchestrated that to, like, tell a very specific story. Yeah. I mean, we got a lot of Zach Brown last year with the Oscar Piastri stuff. It, feel, it felt like he really inserted himself into Drive to Survive and wanted to be sort of the next main character team principal yeah. which um I don't need in my life thank you me neither much. and it's just not going to happen he's not likable unfortunately no no he's never going to be a Gunther Steiner and he doesn't have the kind of authority that like a Christian Horner or a Toto Wolf have he's, um he's not even Otmar like Otmar is like no. funny and like weird yeah. like you're sort of like a confusing dude Zach Brown mm-hmm. is just like a blowhard <laughs> it was a tough Zach Brown episode it really was um, it really was yes I, I think one of the details I found most interesting, though, is Christian Horner basically confirming that Red Bull had interest in Lando and, and yeah. was wanting conversations because I feel like that's been sort of alluded to. And I think that's one of the benefits to this show is that it airs late enough that people feel like they can sort of be honest about this stuff in a way that they're not in the middle of the season, which I think is really fun. Yeah. I hope there's a Checo episode. I just feel like, I I don't know. I didn't look ahead to see if there is, but just hearing you say that, it's like, his antagonism there. Are, I don't even think he's antagonistic, but the way that Red Bull antagonizes him is like mm-hmm. so it's hard to watch. Like he's a good driver and I don't know. And it's sort of confirmed by what you're talking about. You know, like we saw yeah. it playing out and obviously um, there was a lot of uh, 
strife between the team and its driver, but they really are just like so disrespectful of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, he's like they, beloved. I feel like the other drivers love him too, except for Max. I think so too. And they seem to put him really like last on their list in terms of communications and things like yeah. that. I'm hoping we get a little more insight into that too, especially given the way the second half of his year went. I, that has to have been a factor in his performance because when you don't feel like you can trust your team, I'm sure it's hard to go out there and, totally. and drive really well. All right, fourth episode. This was, I think, maybe my favorite one of this block of episodes. This is the last chapter, which is the Haas and Williams stories. Really a Gunther Steiner versus James Vowles episode. And I am right there with you and I am newly obsessed with James Vowles after watching this. He, he's my winner for most British thing about Drive to Survive. Oh, um, I like that. <laughs> because he was a combination of like Mr. Bean played by Rowan Atkinson in <laughs> and Love Actually, specifically when he's like wrapping the gift. Mm-hmm, and yes. um, also the way he talks about tea so specifically is like also <laughs> so British. And um, I, I like really love this man. I'm like all in. He uh, also just seems so smart. And also... Um, mm-hmm. It was interesting to see a team principal talk about stepping into the role of team principal in the era of Drive to Survive. And like, he's one of the only, I think, uh, pr- only principals with an engineering background, right? And mm-hmm. so yes. that's like a pretty interesting um, dynamic as well. And seeing him, he more than any of the other um, teams, or at least on the show, really talked about data and like how much of the job mm-hmm. is data and like analyzing it and running simulations and like, I feel like by having him on the show, it it reminded me about like um, all of like the math and the science that goes into the sport. And um, that combined with his like very refined sensibility was just so entertaining and a a real, as I think people say, vibe shift. And I enjoyed it. Yeah, it it sort of reminded me of like the analytics revolution that we've gotten in other sports. And like, yes. not that that hasn't always existed in Formula One, because to build a race winning car, you have to be focused on the data. But it was a really stark contrast to have him who is so like, I understand the engineering. I am a micromanager. I know exactly what we need to change in the car and through the simulations to achieve our ends up against Gunther Steiner, who was in that meeting and was like, listen, I don't know anything about this car. I need you to tell me. I just know that we need to win and something has to change. It was really, really interesting. And uh, I I appreciated that James Vallis seems to be very self-aware. And I think he even called himself a nerd at one point in the episode. He did, yeah, he did. Um, I don't understand Gunther Steiner's shtick. Obviously, he knows more than he says, right? Right. Um, I don't really get why that is like the persona he wants to have. Maybe it makes like losing your job easier or something like that. Because uh, <laughs> also, of course, in this episode, we have him visiting Mattia Bonotto in his oh, um, vineyard lovely. in Italy. Mm-hmm. The number of languages spoken by all these principals is like impressive to me. Although I guess like people who are not American tend to spend speak more languages than Americans. Yeah, but even Toto was throwing out like French, I think French. at one point talking with Fred and then he you know, obviously speaks Italian. German, English. I think he's Italian. Italian. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, impressive. It, it was just... Yeah, in one minute you have Gunther conversing, you know, fluently in Italian with Mattia, and then he's out to lunch with his wife, and they're speaking German, and then he is, you know, reading his audiobook in English. It's a marvel. It really, it, it is very impressive. It's part of the allure of the sport. I think as Americans, it's just like seems so worldly. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I do also just think that Europeans and people in other countries in general speak more languages than Americans. But I agree yeah. with you. This was a really, really good, compelling episode. I think. I think this and similar to episode two with like when they have the contrasting arcs of like someone mm-hmm. on the way up and someone on the way down, it works really well within the framework of the show. And that's totally. one of the reasons it was really compelling. Um, I also um, really liked seeing um, Nico Hulkenberg. I just feel like yeah. he's a good a good talker and he's good for the show. I'm like less into K-Mag as a, as a commentary person, but like in general, I like they're both good for the show. And Haas had a really interesting season, honestly. Like it mm-hmm. started, we didn't, K-Mag had like a great first race, right? If I recall correctly. And so yeah. seeing how like their response to that was interesting. It's also, um, I'm going to miss Gunther's phone calls with Gene because I just feel like <laughs> that's, that's a staple of Drive to Survive. <laughs> 
Yes, a closed door phone call where he's having to explain why, you know, they fucked up and why he can't can't keep going like this. And I promise it's going to change, Gene. And I think that was one of the the things that was different this time around is he seemed at some points to sort of accept that, like, things aren't going well. It's probably going to be the same again next year. I wonder how much of this uh, existential thinking about the future came, like, late in the season or if this was something that was going on all throughout his mind because I feel like that must have had something to do with him being let go. Like really weird timing for him to be fired too. When was it again? Right after it was, the season? It was, it was like this spring, I think, or like oh, right. maybe January. So it was a bit later than I would have expected. Right. Yeah, I maybe, I don't know, but he um, definitely seemed like at sea kind of. Although maybe they're trying to make you think that with him going to visit Mattia. Yeah, it could but- be. I, I don't know. It was definitely interesting. I um sort of found myself tired of Gunther's shtick. I think maybe in comparison to James Val, who's just so mm-hmm. different and like felt like a fresh approach and just something new. So I again, maybe that's just like good um documentary making because that like if that was the intention, it worked for me. But I was kind of like exhausted by Haas and, and like really cheering for Williams in this episode. Yeah, Williams seemed really competent, which I am really excited by. I Me sort of too. hopped on the Williams bandwagon. This, yeah, I, I ho- fully hopped on this year and I'm. this made me encourage that maybe this is sustainable and that they can actually get legitimately better because James Valls just seems very steady and like a good adult in the room who knows what he's talking about and is committed. And I feel like anyone who gets Toto Wolf's full-on seal of approval as like one of the smartest people he's ever worked with uh, can only bode well for Williams. Totally. I also think the the um like the data revolution for Formula One would be more compelling than in other sports because it actually would just mm-hmm. be bringing, it wouldn't be like a full sale change. It would be like bringing a big part of the sport into like um, the spotlight. And mm-hmm. I think that would be interesting. Like if I'm Amazon, I would like rather go like all in on on Formula One than the NFL with AWS. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, and I know that they're already involved, but um, I don't know. It just seems like such an interesting opportunity in a way, more so than other sports, in my opinion. Yeah. And that's part that, you know, me, I have zero engineering background. I, you know, math, Same. science, all of that is is not not my forte. So that's the area of the sport that I understand least and that I feel like I want to know the most about and want somebody like a James Bowles or, you know, somebody to help me understand why these car components are so important, why the direction of airflow and all of that stuff yeah. can be manipulated. Like, I, I'd like I find it to that get more so technical. Yeah. 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 Same. That would be exciting. Um, one thing I felt like was sort of missing from this episode that I was surprised by was uh, the Logan Sargent struggles. Mm. I thought that that was like ripe for a, a drive to survive examination and, and all of that. I was surprised that they didn't lean into that, especially with him being an American. But uh, I guess that kind of ruins the the good Williams vibes that we got throughout the rest yeah. of the episode. I hope Logan Sargent gets better. It would be great if Williams mm-hmm. like just had like a full turnaround. And like I said before, so I, Alex Albon, I think, is the most likable driver, like just a really charming, rootable, friendly guy. I just really like him. Yeah, he seems very humble. He seems very focused. Like, even in the one-on-one meetings that they showed with him and James, he seemed really to want to know about the direction of the car, the direction of the team. And, um, you know, they had conversations about, like, what does long-term success look like to you? Which yeah. Which I thought was adorable. Very and, yeah, <laughs> very corporate. Yeah, very touching stuff. Um, rooting for Williams always. Uh, And then our last episode that we're going to talk about, Civil War, this was the big uh, Alpine Pierre Gasly versus Esteban Ocon episode that I know we've all been anxiously waiting for after Australia. Um, What did you make of uh, the dynamic between these two? It was exceedingly French. Um, I feel like the show has always been very pro-Gasly. And by giving Ocon so much time, I feel like I I have to rethink it a little bit. Uh, I still like Mm. both of them. But it definitely was, I thought, like an even um, portrayal of of them. And I guess like, I don't know, I, I really liked it. I mean, I remember when I first got into Formula One, like kind of like grasping at the con- the the concept that your biggest rival is your teammate. Um, yeah. Is the most fascinating thing and like really does propel the sport. So I thought that was a, 
really helpful like narrative episode in terms of um, highlighting that. And, you know, so often the team decides like one driver is being championed over the other. I mean, on almost every team, that's true. And Mm -hmm. with these two guys, it's not. Um, I don't think there's necessarily, you know, if based on this episode, Gasly's like the strategy is to help Ocon win. Right. And uh, but I think that was like race specific. I don't know if that would always be the case. And I just thought it was like a, a really interesting reminder of how that works. And then, you know, it's just too perfect. They're both from Normandy and mm-hmm. they've known each other since they were six. And there was a driving incident when they were six <laughs> or whatever. It was it was really, um, really interesting. And I, I like seeing um, like their personalized. I, I also just like um, love how much Gasly loves other athletes and like how he yes. like, he loves sports, you know, like. I remember seeing him at an NBA game last year. I know he's gotten to some, I know he's a, I think a PSG guy. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just like love that he's into sports. <laughs> I think. Yeah. That's he and he and Michael Jordan getting dinner in Miami was like a big plot. Incredible. Of, of that yeah. Grand Prix. He got asked about it so many times. It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. <gasps> yes. Yes. Um, I, I'm with you. I loved getting the backstory of this feud in sort of the 20 plus year history of these two going at each other. Like, I feel like a lot of times Drive to Survive will allude to things or make kind of small potatoes disagreements feel like a big deal. Like, you know, and they focused on kind of the Nico Hulkenberg, Kevin Magnuson thing. And they both mm-hmm. were like, it was one incident. We're all over it. Like, I we're don't know dads, why you keep getting asked. Yeah, yeah. Like, like we're, we're chill. We don't care. This one, I felt like there was actually like a lot of depth to it. And I was glad that they went back to the karting and explained how this all happened. And like you said, they gave both of the driver's sides to it, which was um, very fascinating. I also thought it was an interesting choice for Alpine to put true drivers who dislike each other and whose feud started in karting into carts for a media day and, uh, you know, just sort of let them out and race while they took pictures. That was uh, a bit troubling, especially when Esteban <laughs> uh, spun his cart around and almost got hurt. That wasn't great. I mean, um, just hilarious. It, I mean, not hilarious, but I really I liked it. There was it was such an even episode. Um, and I feel like this is the most we've really ever gotten about Khan, even though he, he won a race uh, last yeah. year or t- 2022. Right. Yes. Yes. He won. Where did he win? Oh, like Monza or now. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was very exciting. I. You can tell it's never a good sign for a team and a team principal when we start to meet executive directors and CEOs on Drive to Survive. It just feels like a bad omen all around when they have to start adding in people from (laughs) higher up in the organization and you realize that something bad is coming for our good friend Otmar. Um, Did not happen. He didn't get fired in this episode, but we are going to get, I looked ahead, we're getting another Alpine episode. I think it's episode seven when they're going to get into some of the Ryan Reynolds stuff and the Hollywood investments. and Do you and think all Mahomes and Kelsey will be in it? Ooh, that would be interesting. I hope so. Because um, they're investors too in Alpine. That's, that's yeah. America's team now. <laughs> Taylor, Taylor Swift's <laughs> the real American team. Yes, yes. Great. I wonder if she'll go to a Grand Prix this summer. I bet she will. I, yeah, I think I'd be surprised if she didn't. Although maybe that would restart the Fernando Alonso Taylor Swift rumors, which oh would my be God. really... Would be really would, fun to have those back. I love that. She's on tour in Europe this summer, so she can make it work. Great, great. We should we should pitch her on it. See if uh, she'll take Travis. That would be great. Well, he he um, invested he invested in Alpine. Yeah, yeah. They could so, go go cheer on the French. It would be great. I feel like Gasly would be really into that. Oh yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. He would. He loves the celebrity of it. He he already said he wants to be an icon. So why not? Just, just I do. Fully I lean love in. that about him. I like someone who who wants to be a celebrity and embraces it when they're already in the public eye. It's like great. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're here, so just own it. And he's honest about wanting it. He's not trying to pretend like he's you know. Oh, I'm I'm over it. I I just go to con because it's it's a fun and I fun environment and I like film. He's like, no, I want to be seen. I like this atmosphere. It's great. Especially as a French guy. It's like, he's, a, it's not even like he's like going to LA. You know what I mean? It's like, right. I, I like that too. And also the way that he was like taking selfies and stuff, he was really hamming it up. I, I like that about him. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Gasly. I am too. I am too. I want good things for him. It would be great. What did he say? Um, Pierre Clooney? Pierre Clooney, yes. And his tux <laughs> on top of a random roof in France. It was lovely. Just lovely. <laughs> Before we go, I've just kind of wanted to do some overarching stuff. Uh, MVP of the first five episodes, LVP of the first five episodes. Who would be your nominations 
for those two. I have some picks, but I want to hear what you think. Okay. My LVP is Christian Horner. Um, yeah. I just feel like really didn't contribute much. Kind of awkward having him on the show. There's not really an interesting Red Bull storyline except for how they treat Checo, and that has not been depicted so far. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think my MVP is... Hmm, it's a good question. Maybe Lando. There's just like a lot yeah. of Lando in general in the sh- in the show, and I think that that I think like turning him into a new star um, is really like a, a good idea for the show. Um, yeah, and I feel like MIP is James Val. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Um, Who are yours? My MVP, I think, is Daniel Ricardo. Just having mm. him back, getting we got like a little more of a. Not subdued, but like humble Daniel Ricardo this yeah. time around. Really seemed very earnest and wanting to work his way back onto the grid. Seemed excited about the opportunities that he had. And um, I'm, I'm always happy for him whenever we get good things. And knowing that he has a happy ending by the end of the season is great. My LVP, we, we kind of talked about already. I just would like there to be a bit more from the talking head level. Like that's not Will Buxton. And I know part of that is not having Jeannie Gao, but... Mm. Some somebody like her, I think we could have used a bit more, um, a, a bit more from those voices and a few other, yeah, people in those roles. The storyline I'm most intrigued by, which I want to hear yours too, coming out of this is is the Lando stuff. I'm I'm with mm. you in that I feel like he's up and coming now, and I I came away from these episodes liking him a lot more than I'd liked him in the past. Yeah, he's usually been pretty stiff and kind of like. seeming like resentful of the cameras, but he seems like he's ready to lean into being more famous. I'm looking forward to seeing how Ferrari stuff plays out. Like not just the Lewis of it all, but Ferrari in general. They had such an underwhelming season. Um, Even though they still did well, it just really didn't, you know, Leclerc had so many DNFs. And so Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to more Ferrari. Um, And, you know, it's just going to be a really interesting, I I think like the lame duck season that we're about to embark on will be made more can can be made more interesting by the insight we get from drive to survive so i'm looking forward to seeing more of that play out yes i'm with you i've already started seeing clips on you know formula one social media where they're starting to interview the drivers coming back and things like that and they've been asking fernando alonso already you know were you surprised by the lewis hamilton move what do you think it means for silly season this year uh, Charles got asked about it too and just like watching all of those clips and seeing them all start to process this already a year in advance is is very very exciting I think it's going to be really fun I mean for Leclerc it's also like Lewis is coming to get you know as he said in the show multiple times to reclaim his eighth so Mm -hmm. you know if you're Leclerc you're no team orders are no longer to get you to to win so um that's a that's a crazy one. Also, just side note, you know, Demois, the Instagram gossip mm-hmm. account. I saw in Demois that apparently Ferrari committed like a hundred million dollars to Lewis's charities. Um, oh, interesting. Part, I don't know if that's true because on Demois, but I think that's an interesting wrinkle. And sometimes with Lewis, I'm like, is this real? Like, is this is this legit? Like that uh, he's like so socially conscious. Um, and that would lead mm-hmm. me to believe it is legit. So I think that's yeah. pretty interesting. I know that was something that got cited a bit too when people were wondering, or you know, when he re-signed with Mercedes initially, um, people cited a lot of the work that Mercedes has done to help with his, like I think it's Mission Forty Four is one of his yeah. enterprises, and a lot of the you know engineering work that they're doing and outreach work that they're doing. It seems like Mercedes has been a really good partner in that. So that would be great if Ferrari is committed to that too. That would be yeah really fun. Yeah, he's, and like he, you said, would yeah would show that Lewis is really committed to all of this. He's like a really just like important celebrity. I could talk about mm-hmm. that for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm so excited. I think we're going to get a full Lewis episode. Can't wait. In the next batch, which I'm eagerly, eagerly awaiting. Uh, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? No, thanks for having me. This was really fun. Thanks, Juliet, for joining. Thank you to Erica Cervantes for the production help. And thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been the Ringer F1 show. We will be back very soon to talk about episodes six through 10. Thanks.
This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.